Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We provide fan-oriented and analytic discussions on a variety of animated shows, movies, and anime, including Steven Universe, Gravity Falls, Ruby, and Rick and Morty. Uh, I am your main host, Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Melanie Moyer. Hello. How are you doing today, Mel? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is our first podcast here. Uh, we are formally... Uh, we're in Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, podcast that ran for about eight years uh, with 158 episodes under our belt. So we have some, certainly have some podcasting experience here. Some. <laughs> uh, and this is basically my attempt to start a more professional venture for podcasting with a wider category available to talk about. Uh, I think that this is a, this is not an area which you often find good uh discussion out there and i mean there's so many podcasts so many um just like articles and reviews and i feel like the field of animation is really lacking um in terms of getting good critical discussion out of it and so we're going to take things that we're fans of and we're going to talk about them as fans but also review them analytically and that's basically our mission statement here is really just taking animation seriously and giving you good um something good to listen to on it uh yeah and today is a great example of that we're going to be discussing inside out uh the latest pixar uh film released and it's uh, an incredible um animation achievement and it should be taken legitimately as a film even if it wasn't animated essentially yeah we don't i'm not really big on considering any of these things kids movies or shows I'm and nor calling them cartoons is something that I would do. So we're going to be big on animation and treating this as if it were any other movie or any other television show when we talk about TV shows. Sounds dandy. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> you can find all the information about this podcast, including our bios, an about page, and links to our social media at overlyanimated.com. Yeah, Inside Out is Pixar's latest, uh, directed by Pete Doctor, I believe. Um, it did incredibly well at the box office in its opening weekend, um, getting $91 million, uh, the largest original um, debut ever in the box office. So not sequels excluded, this is the biggest opening weekend ever. Uh, it is Pixar's highest grossing opening weekend, and that despite it coming in second to Jurassic World's second weekend, which is interesting. Uh, but this is a huge triumph for Pixar. Um, they've maybe been off the mark with their last few releases, not up to the high quality that was expected, and which was uh, which they achieved with, with during like the Wall-E and Ratatouille era. Um, so this they have this film has incredible and a great critical response and is performing very well uh, monetarily, which is great because it's kind of a unique concept. Uh, this I, I like. I read that they were a little bit anxious that this would be hard to market, and you can definitely see why. Um, maybe talking yeah. talk, talking animals might be easier than like emotions. I will say that the the first couple trailers they released for it, the first teasers, it was not really something I was interested in, and it was very strange to look at. And I think the animation style Pixar kind of has um, very good continuity when it comes to its animation style. I mean, there's. There's certain differences here and there, but I think across the board, like if you look at it, it's pretty. Um, it's it 
it's it's got like a staple look for at least for like things like human characters cars is like an exception but uh, like if you look at the the characters in toy story like the animation is all very um similar but this was in that regard i feel like a huge step towards sort of diversifying their characters with the way that they designed the um different emotions so it was it was a very different thing to see when the trailers first came out yeah they're i think their glow is pretty distinctive Mm -hmm. uh and that's apparently something they spent a lot of like money and time on it's 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 interesting yeah but this is this didn't seem like a safe bet for pixar and it's performing great in line to probably the favorite for the animated oscar at this point although we'll hopefully be reviewing another contender uh when marnie was there in a few podcasts uh and yeah let's get into our reactions to inside out i don't think either of us saw it in 3d i believe it's out in 3d no. yeah it is out in 3d yeah so i, I don't know we can't really recommend no. the, generally sure, maybe. <laughs> generally animated films are some of the better 3d movies you could see yeah. uh because the biggest problem with 3d on normal movies is that they're not filmed in it uh but animation you know is not filmed so it can be it can look well on it but it's probably unnecessary i don't know I think the I think the discourse towards 3D recently has been has soured. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into our initial reactions. Probably won't contain spoilers, but um, from here on out, be warned that there are spoilers for this movie and the rest of the podcast. So, Mel, what did you think of Inside Out? I was surprised by how good it was. Because um, again, I. The- the trailers the the later trailers were better but for the most part i thought the concept was very strange it almost didn't even look like pixar um but it ended up being just surprisingly deep and surprisingly emotional and i did know that a little bit going in i heard some reviews from uh people who said they didn't really expect to have the reaction they had to it but i thought i think it might beat the incredibles for my favorite uh pixar film Interesting, yeah. Favorite Pixar film. That's that should be pretty high praise there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I guess I was less high on it than you. I enjoyed mm-hmm. I enjoyed Inside Out. Um, I think that's an interesting point about how the anticipation going in with um, you heard you've heard about like how emotional it would be and stuff. I yeah, I'd heard these types no of pun things. Intended. <laughs> well, I, it's kind of it's a related <laughs> concept. Uh, yeah, I had these pretty pretty high hopes for it. Um, how it deal with like. Um, mental stuff and like and just it just seems like it'd be very really uh really emotional really engaging and i didn't come away with the reactions to that extent i thought it was good i thought parts of it were excellent some of it was um not i didn't enjoy as much uh and i'd say we'll get into this more at the end but i'd say this certainly doesn't um come close to my top few pixar films probably does not crack the top five for me uh, but I still think it was good, and it's nice to see Pixar back to this high quality, even if it wasn't one of my favorites. Um, and it's good because we're having there's another Pixar movie released later this year, two in a year, which is a first. Um, and hopefully, we'll get another high quality movie like this one. So yeah, spoilers again. So let's get into some specifics in Inside Out, and I guess basically my reaction to uh to this movie is that there's great parts which were anything involving uh the emotion anything involving joy and sadness inside like the control room and 
um, any like poignant points they're making about how those emotions relate to uh, like Riley's Riley. Yeah. Yeah. State. Uh, And I think those parts were good. And I think they did achieve a certain level of, you know, catharticism. I don't think that you can perform that word that way, but catharsis, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. But however, like a lot of it, I found not as, not as great. And also anything with Riley in, in real life. Right. I I thought was great. Uh, But like maybe parts of them making, you know, the typical film journey of them trying to get back to the, back to the control room. I was a little bit less high on and, Really, I think a, a lot of the film's charm comes from the cleverness of how they're representing these these um, psychological or biological things inside the brain. And I guess I didn't care for those representations. Uh, super. I mean, they're there, and if they're not focused on, that's fine. But I feel like it's like, oh, here's this thing, and it's important that you think of this as you think this is clever and funny and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. How, what, what, how do you think... Because it, it's like kept going on and on. It's like the train of thought, the dream studio, you know. <laughs> I love the train of thought. It's, I like that it derailed too at one point. I just, yeah. I, think, I, I, th- I thought some of that, yeah, like it, it's clever. It's it, And there was like a lot of, like you said, charm in like the train of thought in the dream studio and the way they sort of built this world. Um, but I think the thing that I responded to in this was just I, what Pixar is good at is storytelling i think more than animation i mean obviously they're good at animation they've they trailblazed with uh the first toy story movie and um other things but the big thing that they get praised for is the fact that they have excellent writing in these films and excellent concepts and i just felt that the writing in this in the way that these sort of characters came across and the way it progressed was just well done and it had a lot of heart in it um there was other things I was going to say. I they were. <laughs> My train of thought got derailed. Um, well, how? I, 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 go ahead. I maybe. How about the like these big moments with, um, like us discovering, you know, sadness isn't all bad, and yeah. So yeah. yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so I, I that was one of my stand up moments was when Joy had the memory and realized that sadness can cause joy, and that was sadness's sort of purpose since earlier in the movie that had been like the established thing that sadness really should stay away from things and serve no purpose inside the control room. And it turns out that sadness was the thing that saved Riley in the end because it, it removed the uh, thought bulb. She was able to remove the thought bulb from um, the, this is all very involved. The (laughs) building, the thought bulb that was in the control panel um, because she made Riley sad and that sometimes sadness is important and anger shouldn't be the only thing you're feeling because then what ends up what was really interesting for me so she's got these these islands in her head that represent different aspects of her life and different decisions she makes based on what these emotions do in the control room has detrimental effects i mean when anger took over the control board and um she stole her mom's credit card and like honesty island and family island both collapsed like i thought that was very very poignant and it wasn't meant to be i feel like in the way it was portrayed it happened and it sucked and that was that but i feel like what it's saying beneath that the fact that these actions and the what she was feeling ended up having catastrophic effects inside her head for for these vital parts of her was very well done and very good 
Yeah. Uh, how, okay. Let's talk. Let's talk themes in this movie a little bit, because I, I guess I was surprised at how um, maybe abstract the messages were, which I think is a good thing. Like, I kind of mm-hmm. expected the, to be it to be like I was I, early on when watching. I was like, okay, this is a movie about uh, depression, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting to see a, a Pixar movie about depression, and it kind of is a little bit, uh, but it gets a little. It's maybe a little more general and open than that. So I guess one takeaway from this movie, here's potential takeaways I wrote down. Um, and you tell me if this is something that you also got from this movie. Um, first one is that sadness is like good and important. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Putting it in the most, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, okay, the second thing is that, so I thought that, so at first I actually thought that sadness was kind of representing depression in this movie. Um, and I thought that was really interesting to see this character who... Um, can't really like control this and all these bad all these um things associated with depression but i think ultimately it it turns out that when the console glows black mm-hmm. um and the you're just not feeling anything i think that's the representation of the depression not sadness anymore yeah no i agree and that was another stand-up moment for me is when she's just everything goes gray and they can't do a thing because she doesn't feel anything at all and i think that was especially interesting because she's supposed to be i guess 11 years old she's She's not a teenager. Yeah, she's like 11, yeah. But to see that in an 11-year-old and to see the way it's portrayed, aimed, again, this is, you know, aimed at kids is super interesting, I think, and kind of a gamble for uh, that type of movie. Yeah, and that was a very short moment when uh, Mm -hmm. the the console goes black, but it's still certain. And And I don't think that that's the only, like, moment where depression takes a role i think sadness also should be is probably a part of um maybe depression's too strong for riley's state throughout a lot of this movie but um general downing downness and stuff like that and we'll get back to that i guess here's a third i think thing takeaway um is that um coming of age and not necessarily puberty but growing up um it means that joy is not necessarily in control anymore. Yeah, definitely. Which is, I think that was an interesting point. I didn't necessarily expect this to be a coming of age movie and you know, all movies are coming of age movies, but uh, this one, it seems like to turn it, it turned into it at the end. And it's like, Oh, joy is just always at the console um, throughout her early life. And life's all, you know, like all fun and games when you're younger, but not even corresponding to puberty, puberty, which happens kind of in the epilogue of the movie, but just growing up really means that you need to learn to balance your life without like pure happiness um, Mm -hmm. as the main emotion you're feeling. Yeah. That's something I definitely responded to. Like I I do like that message. Um, I I actually think it might've been a little too subtle. Um, Like this isn't something that jumped out at me. This is comes from thinking about it a little bit more. Uh, Yeah. I like. I'd rather have it be too subtle than too explicit. But uh, I do. It, there wasn't necessarily a cathartic moment involving this like thematic element. Yeah, I'd say the closest to that would be when Joy is um, there in that pit, and she has the memory and realizes, "Oh, sadness caused joy." I think that's the closest it gets. It doesn't, and it gets there in sort of an indirect way. But um, I think that was the closest scene devoted to that sort of idea that joy isn't always what's needed 
Yeah, and that that's the, that brings to the fourth theme, and these all kind of relate. But you need the fourth theme is that you need a mixture of emotions for to live like a, a balanced life. Mm-hmm. I would yeah, I'd say that's another takeaway. Okay, so do you have anything? Do you have any others other than those four? You know, like big thematic elements from the film. Um, no, I think you covered them all. Yeah, and those are all they're all in the same general area. I would say the big standout from this movie is. Um, is sadness voiced by uh phyllis smith yeah, yeah. phyllis yeah. phyllis from the office which is great uh and she's brings a lot of real nuance to this role and the progression of this character from someone who you think has no value to the value seen in it is really really well done um i'm i'm not sure what that there's like a big uh there's a big spotlight moment. Um, like it's interesting that sadness is important as a takeaway, and it's I don't know. To me, it's not clear what that means in terms of a uh, in terms of a mess take home message. But I also don't think it necessarily needs to be one. I think what's interesting here, and this is sort of going into like the whole Pixar canon. Like when you look at um, Toy Story three, and they made it that Andy was going into college because they knew that the kids who had watched the original movie were about that age. And when they did Monsters University, they did Monsters University because they knew the kids who had watched Monsters Inc. in theaters were now that age. I think the takeaway here is that it's sort of, I don't want to, it's almost, I guess, like, I don't want to say they're like giving you a lesson because I don't think that's the point. But I think it's what you said. It's a coming-of-age story where we didn't really expect one, but that's something that Pixar has been doing a lot lately because I think they are aware that their audience is not, you know, a lot of people go to see these movies. It's not just little kids. So I think, yeah, like, if you were to umbrella it all under one thing, including the fact that joy or that sadness has purpose, is that it's life and that's what happens when you grow up and there's a whole lot of confusion and you need that sort of balance to get through huge changes because this is the first huge change in her life is moving uh halfway across the country so that yeah that brings up maybe some other elements of the movie to go over other than focus well we can talk about joy for a second too voiced by amy poehler was another i would say she was the main character of yeah. the film yeah. yeah and it's interesting to have the emotional and maybe important moments of the film revolve not around your main character, you know? Uh, I mean, you could argue that sadness is the main character, but she certainly has less screen time. And um, maybe Amy Poehler, it's, <laughs> I don't know. She, she's a, that's a very Amy Poehler character, but uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting that um, Joy has, you know, realizations, but it's not necessarily involving her maybe that she needs to step back is her big realization right yeah yeah it's it's sort of like her and sadness i think are going in sort of opposite directions where she's starting out as if at the end of her journey where she's the main character the most the, the most prominent person learns that she has to step back sadness goes from being a background character to not necessarily the main focus but someone of a great deal of importance it's like reverse sad it's like two opposite directions of like the hero's journey essentially oh well we could we could go into the hero's Don't journey listen, we're not doing that but right now. <laughs> uh let's not do that uh okay so we'll, we'll come back to this here's some elements of the movie which i thought were excellent um just generally the things with riley um in real life uh first to start this is a pixar's most female-centric movie by far uh all three main characters i would say the three main characters are joy sadness and riley and all three are female and 
I mean, that's excellent. Uh, this mm-hmm. is this has been a big hindrance for me enjoying uh, Pixar films in the past. Is they're also male centric. I mean, my favorite Pixar film, Wally, is you know about robots, not even <laughs> not even males and females. So no humans at all. No, that would be well. A lot of Pixar films are no humans at all. But this is true. Uh, that's it's great and i hope they continue in this direction unfortunately their next movie is another um is another boy and his dog it's like it's a you know how you know how um transformers is boy and his car boy and his dog that the that theme with uh that archetype i guess with uh except they're reversing it in the humans the dog and the dinosaurs the the boy which is interesting but they're both male and so hopefully we get some more trending in this direction um the other thing is that uh, continuing on like the feminist uh, like viewpoint vantage point from this, I love the the portrayal of Riley, specifically her playing hockey is yeah that just yeah. being such a central focus for her character. It's, it's so excellent. Um, it's it make I mean it makes sense of course because she's from Minnesota. This film's heavily based off of uh, Pete Doctor's life. It, reading the Wikipedia page, though <laughs> that was a lot of a lot of prep work, but. Um, Pete Doctor's daughter um, and him noticing uh, like the emotional state of her growing up um, and he's from Minnesota stuff like that so it's all based heavily on him and just the portrayal of Riley is is real it's um, genuine it's not stereotypical it's not gender rolsey and I mean it's a gender rolsey the biggest gender rolsey thing would be of course the uh, you know the imaginary boyfriends and and maybe rainbows coming in too much but overall i think it's it's quite well done in in that regard and i don't know a lot of just the riley interacting with the world stuff was were some of my favorite moments yeah and it's interesting because that isn't necessarily the focus a lot of riley interacting with the world happens as um a chain reaction to stuff going on the main plot inside of her head. And I think it's interesting that it ended up being so well done and so poignant and standout ish. Um, That's a new one. Standout ish. Um, For the little screen time it had in comparison to everything else. Yeah. It was definitely a reaction to, it was definitely the secondary, you know, um, scene Uh, and it was a reaction to stuff going on. Uh, I feel one element that I was, not thrilled with but wasn't necessarily tell- terrible was when they van- ventured into other people's brains um and had their emotions reacting to it specifically one scene scene themes like seems like the like thesis statement for the movie which is the dinner scene with um riley and her dad uh and their heads going back and forth and i feel like that's a little bit of a different movie than the rest of it mm-hmm. like we could have that type of movie where it's like we just see how people's behavior like directly changes from their emotions controlling things in their heads and it looks like that was the first scene they actually made um i think it turned into a different movie yeah that was the first scene that was the teaser trailer scene too yeah so i'm gonna say that was the first scene animated yeah Um, i think it was the first scene animated i mean the film went through so many rewrites as with all pixar movies but mm -hmm. but uh that's that's the first one that got fully storyboarded and stuff uh I don't know. How do you? How, it was used very sparsely, and in the credits, in the credits, you know, they had it. Yeah. But, but that's not super important. How, how did? What did you think of this element? Yeah, I mean, it does feel a little bit out of place. Um, I think, it, basic because it shows up in the credits too is kind of more comedic, and I'd say that that's kind of 
it wasn't necessarily comedic in that dinner scene, but it was. It kind of was. It it, it was like a break from the more serious stuff going on inside her head, and I feel like it would have been a little bit better to only stay inside her head than to to do that. Um, but I. I don't really have too many thoughts on it. It was it was it wasn't the worst balance in the world because it was used so sparingly, but yeah. it did take me out of it a little bit during that. Uh, what did, okay? What do you think of Bing Pong? That's the big um, that's the big question. Here's, here's my thing with Bing Pong is I like the idea of it better than the execution. Um, I liked the idea of having an imaginary friend, and I liked the way his story resolved and what it, it was what was kind of being said by the way his story resolved. I think he maybe could have been characterized a little bit differently. Um, I get that they were going for, you know, childhood innocence and, and what she was experiencing at that time, but I think it could have been done in a less, um, sort of dumbed down way or less stereotypical imaginary friend way. I feel like they had an opportunity there to really play with something and didn't, but I do like the idea of it. Compared to the rest of the movie, he seemed it, that seemed really dumb and silly. That's yeah. what I would say. Like the just the opening bugs, like the whole the whole thing with him. It's like in the same way the uh, Brazilian helicopter pilot uh, joke twice seemed kind yeah. of silly. With like it, like I think I thought that was funny, but it was silly and out of place a little bit. Um, people seem to love Bing Bong, so I guess that's not that con- generally happens with these movies. <laughs> though is that they always that that's it's like it happened with Olaf. It's like it's always that character. I feel like Olaf, Olaf like had some depth to him and stuff, but at the same time, yeah, I guess he's the same thing. Because yeah, I mean, actually, he did. actually, they're very similar because they both kind of like yeah, they're both essentially imaginary friends. And then are... and then they get the the depth at the end, but it's not like that deep. And yeah, it's not necessarily that the character of Bing Bong got depth; it was that what he was representing had depth, yeah. and the idea of that in general. So I'd say execution wise, not stellar, but in theory. Awesome. Yeah, the pro- I think I, I guess the problem is that he was uh, a pink so- elephant. No, not that. <laughs> it's that he was so central to the movie. He must have had like forty minutes of screen time. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Uh, so I didn't like Bing Bong like at all. But uh, I, I feel like we're not representing the general masses here, whose no, favorite they, character they was probably Bing Bong. Okay. I have a friend who told me that that was his. He was he. That was his favorite part of the movie was Bing Bong. So. Yeah. Okay. Here's the last um, <laughs> major criticism of me. I've been pretty down. Uh, on this but it, it's a good it's a good dynamic because Mel's pretty really positive on the movie I'm more negative um, let's let's talk I, I, here's the let's talk the concept and the result of the concept of this movie so when I heard um, I don't know when it came out that they were doing this two years ago maybe three years ago they had Disney has their little convention that they just had now and gives detail <coughs> gives details on all their movies and stuff which is how we know about the good dinosaur coming out in this November the details for it um this this idea is like intriguing at first because it's like okay we're gonna get a psychological element from pixar but then it's each each character represents one emotion that really i really didn't like the sound of that and the reason is because it would just be boring and each character would be super one-dimensional um and i think that that is how it is in the beginning of the movie uh and then a few of them probably two one or two of those 
join sadness grow out of that and become multi-dimensional characters which is really good uh but i still think this movie i think the major criticism one could make of this movie is that compare these characters to the pantheon of pixar characters and these characters really have not much depth to them mm-hmm. um you could argue sadness does but i feel like she's her depth comes from the general themes of the movie and stuff and it's not necessarily with her specifically you know her character uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but the same thing with Joy a little bit. And she's basically the same throughout the entire movie. I mean, Riley's not too much of a presence. She's a, a nuanced character, but she has so little screen time. Um, I mean, who else is there in the movie? Obviously, fear, anger, and disgust, um, I feel like are clear one-dimensional characters. Yeah, uh, no, I agree with that. I thought, they, which, they're side characters, so it's fine, but they also had a big screen presence. And I feel like there's really no one to anchor this down in terms of this incredible um, character who I like watch like change and grow and stuff like that. And it was supposed to be sadness. And I think that it works a little bit, but um, it's, it maybe works on more of a conceptual level than a character-based level. Yeah, no, and I, I agree to a certain extent because it is hard to sort of talk about joy and sadness as characters without separating them from abstract joy and sadness and what they're supposed to represent. But I do, I mean, I just... It's interesting because I guess it's like it's what you want to take away from it. Um, and yeah, characters is a huge thing for Pixar because that's, I mean, like if you look at The Incredibles, Finding Nemo, like it's just a great array of these very layered characters. Um, I think what I liked about this, though, was kind of the, I, I guess it's opposite to you, but sort of the execution I thought was, and maybe it's just because I thought it was better than I thought it was going to be, because I did think for the longest time, even up until this movie came out, that um, it was not going to be a very good Pixar film. But if you take it and sort of compare it to something like Frozen, that's got a similar theme, I guess, of of depression and emotion and that sort of thing. I think the fact that it is so straightforward and that the characters are so straightforward works a lot better for what it's trying to say than something like a over overarching prolonged uh, metaphor. I, and that's my thing with these characters who are, yes, by themselves are one dimension. I think all together though, those, the, I, there's five of them, I think like the five emotions together and their ensemble scenes are very good and sort of calm compose really great scenes and sort of one giant character of these emotions and i think riley while she wasn't she was mainly defined by these sort of characters in her head her scenes were still extremely poignant and extremely well done for how simplistic they were compared to uh the rest of it so i think what i'm liking here is sort of execution versus expectation and sort of taking looking at what they took to begin with and looking at what they ended up with and being very surprised at how well that worked. So maybe that's not the best way to look at it. Um, It's one lens, I suppose you could look at it. I mean, it depends on what you want to get out of a movie, whether it's entertainment value, uh, writing, characters, execution, you know, that's just my take on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to separate expectation from reaction. Uh, In an ideal world, we would have no expectations for any movie and expectations shouldn't play a factor into mm-hmm. our, our objective critical opinions. Uh, but certainly it's, I feel like you were expecting nothing and you got something great. And I was expecting yeah. the best thing ever after like, I, <laughs> well, I, I, I talked it up a lot. You, you talked it up. Yeah. And I also saw it later than you. I, so I saw all the reviews and stuff yeah. and I, I feel like I, I don't think it resonated with me as much as everyone else, yeah. but I, it's still, I mean, I still enjoy it. I think you know? it is also too, what you bring into it too. I mean, specific people, um, 
again, I had this friend who, going through a similar situation, a similar time, absolutely in love with it. Like, even more than me talking it up, just obsessed with it, loved it so much because he related to it. And I think that's an important part, too, is that it's sort of, and that's true for any movie, is how receptive you are to the themes and personal levels, I guess, you can bring to it. You can't really change that, and you can't be faulted for it if you don't have a personal connection to it either. But I think this, more than a lot of other Pixar movies, had that reaction for people where they had a personal connection to Riley and to what was going on inside her head. Yeah, and I love that uh, that it's resonating with people. And I think it's great that um, uh, there's a movie like this exists for people to relate to because yeah. a lot of people don't uh, experience these types of stories and thinking about these types of things. So, um, okay, allow me to say one, my perspective on this basic thing. And this is going to sound a little, um, I don't know. I, I love when you do these intros to I, well, that you're about to say. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me. I'm about to say I look at things this differently than a lot of other people. Um, I'm not saying differently from you specifically. I don't know. But um, I mean, it might sound haughty or whatever. But to me, this seems to me from my perspective, this is like a psychological light movie. Like this is this doesn't explore the depths of I didn't personally relate to it as much because it doesn't I didn't really think feel like this got as deep as it would need to be for me to understand for, for me to relate to the type of depression stuff that I've you know, experienced and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's hard to relate on a level of these one dimensional characters. I, it gets there. Like the big things for me are those cathartic moments. There's like two or three of them. And I think it gets there in those moments, but the rest of it is like, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it, no, it, it's not I, that level. It's, it's very much abstract. And I think it stays at the surface level because I think it was sort of towing the line of how layered do you make these characters and still be able to say, this is sadness, this is joy. You know what I mean? Like joy that's all she is that's they're they're literally that's the thing is like they're literally one dimension that make up an entire person they're each one thing and that is what they are um barring the the moment i think i guess where joy was crying which um i think was the closest they got to sort of breaking the rules that they had set up at the beginning so i think it's from a sort of conceptual level it's hard to to get it to to make these characters more than just concepts um so i can i definitely see where that's where you're coming from with that because they are they do seem like they don't really do a lot of um movement in that regard um maybe sadness and joy but still not too much yeah so the the last this is the last perspective i'll uh, from this perspective i'll say on it because i think this is gonna be off-putting to some people but uh basically to me, it seems like it's possible that people who don't often um, think about th- think about in- things inside their own head and their own emotions and psychologically, I feel like they might have had a much larger reaction to this because mm-hmm. um, this forces you to think about these types of things. Whereas people, um, maybe myself included, who constantly think about these, um, it maybe doesn't get to the depths of where I would want this concept to be approached from. Yeah, no, I agree that that very much so. Because okay. now it's like every time I do something, I'm like, oh, there's anger. Mostly anger. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably a little bit of disgust. But I do, the big thing that I personally took away from it in terms of dealing with personal experience and that sort of thing is um, at the end when she's talking to her parents and she comes back and she comes back from running away and she's talking to them and she tells them everything that she's kept bottled up. 
um, and ends her speech with saying, please don't be mad at me. And the way they just animated her mother's reaction was extremely well done because there's about five to ten seconds of just silence um, on her parents' end and just sort of, I don't even want to say it's shock. It's it's like a mixture of a lot of different things that was just animated so perfectly in the little sort of nuances on their faces. Um, but I thought that was a very poignant theme because I feel like in a lot of things people are in society are driven to feel bad for how they're feeling and told to think about well how the, how they're making other people feel by how they're feeling this not so kid friendly orange is the new black this season mild spoilers <laughs> um there's a character um brooke who goes to see the prison psychologist because she is feeling lonely she doesn't have friends um she was kicked out of the club she was in in prison um and uh, she says to him that she thinks she's depressed, and he essentially tells her, um, the line is, um, he tells her that nobody likes sad people and tells get, gives her a prescription for antidepressants and sends her on her way. She goes to see a different psychologist, there's two. She goes to see the other psychologist, the prison, who gives her very different advice, goes to talk. The two psychologists talk, so she's kind of reaming him for what he says. And uh, she says, when people, she says... Um, when someone's in pain, the thing they need is to have their pain acknowledged, not be felt, not be made to feel bad for feeling it. And I think that's something super duper poignant, at least in my life, probably in a lot of people's lives, is that you can't control a lot of these things. And I think that's what this movie gets across, is that Riley's not in control at all. And these little people are running around inside of her head, pushing buttons and causing her to react in very real ways. And you see the consequences outside as she runs away. And you see the consequences inside her head as different parts of her are lost, different memories, different sort of family and, and honesty island and friendship island and all these things get lost because of what's going on inside her head that she can't shut off and she can't control. So I think that was the big moment for me and that, that comes in like the last five or so minutes of the movie is that you shouldn't be blamed for how you feel. And I think it's important to specifically tell youth that as well. Yeah, that's that's a great analysis. That was actually exactly what I was going to ask you about next. So good job. Uh, it's um, that's I will say that's one. I didn't necessarily get that moment at the at the end, although I did love that moment with her and her parents. That was excellent mm-hmm. uh, for the, the kind of related. Maybe what you're talking about, maybe not is one of the big things in the beginning to me is I thought sadness was depression and just seeing how like out of control sadness's presence in her mind was, you know, um, even to the point where sadness can't really control her own behavior. Um, and I think that did a great job coming across of you can't really help it when depression and sadness um, like kick in, in in your head. And I think it gets there at the end too. But it really, that moment for me came at the very beginning. Um, yeah. So when she touches the memory. Yeah, when she touches yeah. the memory and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and they certainly hit this point home many, many times. Um, so I think I feel like if you you're someone who doesn't think in terms of that, then that might be like a shell shock to you right in the beginning of the movie. Um, I'm not sure how in touch with their. <laughs> <laughs> with their psychological states the general masses are but uh are about it, to find out uh, well <laughs> by dylan's analysis well yeah. you're you're giving you're giving us a lot of credit that our first episode is going to reach the general masses yeah, i would no. assume i would assume not all uh, six of our friends are uh, going to... <laughs> yeah we'll send this to our friend group and they'll, they'll let us know uh but yeah the, these types of general things i i do really love the type of effect this movie should have on society right uh on our mm-hmm. culture our culture is so repressive 
of depression and emotional states, and it really shouldn't be. And I love that this gets people to think about it and talk about it um, overall. Yeah, no, I agree. If if nothing else, the f- execution, all that stuff aside, it exists, and that's important enough, I think. Uh, cool. Any other major major points from the movie? Um, no, I think that that was the last big one I had. Yes, yeah, so, so a small detail I wanted to make sure we pointed out was the the guards to the uh, what the prison. What what was the prison representing? It was like the subcon. Was it the subconscious? I think it was the subconscious. That's where the clown was. Yeah. Yeah, I think okay. it was supposed to be the the subconscious. Okay, so the the guards to the the subconscious, um, talking about uh, my hat, uh, I wrote my hat in your hat. Um, I feel like this was very Avatar inspired, Avatar Last Airbender. Um, just having this like minor guards dialogue, um, yeah. be, be one of the funniest <laughs> parts of the movie. This is kind of this. This is just this recurring theme in Avatar and Korra that Mike and Brian keep doing is. Uh, uh, the guard, strangely the, characterized the strangely guards. characterized guards <laughs> achieving a lot of depth with their characters in like two lines and having it be hilarious and uh, that was that was my biggest uh comedic moments of the whole thing was i wrote my hat in your hat my handwriting you know stuff like that yeah. i thought that was excellent any other yeah. sm- any other small things you want to point out um i loved the train of thought <laughs> Um, maybe it's because I like a good pun. I don't know. Um, I also like the way that dreams happened. I thought that was very, it was very Monsters Inc-ish. Um, that was very the, Monsters inc yeah. The way they, they portrayed dreams. Um, I also liked Fear a little bit in that scene where he like freaked out. I mean, that's, that's basically the biggest scene he had was manning the board during uh, dream time. But I thought he was kind of funny. Okay, I will say... Out of the three emotions, there was a second where fear really resonated with me. And that was, like, I guess when he relented, um, like, for running away. Uh, it's like, okay, it's like fear is voiced by his... Uh, oh, wait. I or not fear, fear. Not fear. Anger, I meant. Sorry. Is fear... Fear, fear is Bill Hader. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but anger ang- is Lewis Black. Anger is Lewis Black. I mean anger. When anger, like, lets control, go control of the running away and because he's like this you know like old like man right and i felt like for a second he merged with like the little girl whose head he's inside of and mm-hmm. to me that was really great um i feel like disgust didn't resonate super well uh mindy kaling's great but that character didn't have a lot of going on bill Hader as fear um there's a few there's a few moments i would say was, i mean he was really funny um with the whole when he compiled the list of things that could go wrong on the first day yeah uh, i thought that was pretty good um I don't remember. I don't know any other minor things. Um, no, I think that was it. Okay, you know what it's time for. What is it? Time it's time for? for list time. So uh, I found my list of Pixar movies in order. Oh, found, okay. He said found as if you didn't like have it on your desktop. Oh, I definitely go. had it on my desktop. Ready to go. Okay, so it's got a folder of lists. We're gonna we're gonna first. Why don't we take? A, we're not gonna do this for the rest of the podcast. So on Avatar and our core podcast, we graded things out of ten when we watched an episode. I don't want to do that for this podcast, but quickly. Thank God. But we're gonna do it like in five seconds for this movie. Oh. Out of ten, go. So okay, out of ten, um, ten being the best of anything ever. One. Being okay, no, just go number. We okay, number go. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, nine. You okay? You're at a nine. Yeah, I'm at like yeah. a like a. A high seven, you know, something like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So I have a list of Pixar movies here. My, we're, this is going to come up again and again because we're going to get into retrospectives on these old Pixar movies. Um, they're gonna, each going to get their, maybe not everyone, but a lot of them are going to get their own podcasts on this podcast. Uh, my favorite Pixar movie of all time is Wally. 
Wally. Uh, I quite like Wally. And my top rounding out my th- I made this list a while ago. I'll say that. That's probably going to change when I rewatch a lot of them. And my top five is one Wally, two Ratatouille, three Monsters Inc., four Up, five The Incredibles. Um, and the really unpopular opinion I have is that Toy Story and Toy Stories 2 aren't that great. Uh, and I know you all hate me for that, but I'm I'm sorry. I don't think they hold up that well. It's whatever. Uh, I think the toy the first Toy Story holds up fairly well. I'm not a huge fan of those sequels. I, even, I yeah, I don't know. I think Toy Story three is the best of them, and I think that's closer. See, that's, but... that's surprising because I don't. I actually like that the least, and everyone loves it. Uh, a lot of people just. I feel like people place Toy the original Toy Story on such a high pedestal. Um, I feel like Pixar achieved greater storytelling depth later. Um, but so that's my top five. I don't have um, Inside Out in this top five. And you'd said it might be number one on your list. Yeah, so this I don't have a list with right. me, but I'm going to say that my favorite Pixar movie in rough order was Incredibles, Incredibles 1, Finding Nemo 2, um, WALL-E 3, Ratatouille 4, and then pro- I don't probably Brave is five. Um, so I I'm you know it it, it takes some rewatching, um, but I's definitely in the top five, maybe maybe number one. We should mention that Brave was at a strong female presence too, and we were talking about the yeah. the feminist. Yeah. Presence. It's like oh, you forgot about Brave. That's I was going to say something, but I was, you were on a roll. So the the joke would be that uh, Brave's not that great, so it's understandable that we yeah. forgot. But you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, you know, my six Finding Nemo, seven Toy Story three, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would say Inside Out goes after Toy Story three, but above A Bug's Life in my list, and Brave. Oh, Bugs Life. And Brave is below A Bug's Life, uh, and then we get into the Toy Stories and Cars, which I'm not as big I've, on. I've never seen any of the car movies. Look, uh, I'll give you our email now: overlyanimatedpodcast <laughs> at gmail dot com. If you want to tell me how wrong I am about Toy Story. Um, but we that would probably warrant its own podcast us going over that uh so you what i forgot you have this at two did you say or um compl- something like that somewhere definitely one, in the top five yeah probably one or two and i have it at like eight or something okay yeah. it's, it's eight on the pixar list is quite good i will say that that's like when we go over the miyazaki movies what, what tier is it i actually don't have this list tiered oh my goodness interesting this is an early one i have my miyazaki list tiered uh but that will save we'll save that for our next movie review podcast um closing thoughts on inside out um it's great and uh, i think at the very least people should go see it yeah we both definitely recommend it i would say yeah i, I, hope, I hope you didn't listen to that having not seen it but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i would definitely recommend it and i recommend it to your friends i think it's a very important movie um that's 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 one thing um a movie can be excellent and it can just be that I don't really care about it socially at all. But this movie, I feel like, is one of the most socially important movies um, because it's incredibly feminist and it is incredibly important. So it's for people to think about things in psychological terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to like it more, and maybe I will upon rewatch. Now that uh, that's that's one thing. Maybe maybe this movie works more on rewatch. I'm not sure. Because uh, you don't really know where it's going for a while. That's the interesting yeah. part. Okay, uh, I would say that about wraps things up. That wraps things up for our first uh, podcast on over the overly animated podcast. Um, find all our the info about this podcast and overlyanimated.com. That's overly as O V E R L Y. Not sure if people are gonna like 
be able to like recognize the word thing word the words that as i'm saying it fast in the title <laughs> that's a fear i feel like context wise they're gonna get overly animated like I, I, okay i hope feel so like feel like you're good yes uh and if not we made enough of a point of it right now that anyway yeah that's that's true <laughs> uh yeah we're gonna you can expect more podcasts similar to this one where we talk about current animated movies and old animated movies um in addition we're going to be very big on talking about new episodes of specific animated shows um, and just je- talk about seasons in general. Um, so like, even if it's a show we don't regularly review, we might talk about a season of it. If someone in the pot, in the group has, has watched that season. There, there are others. This is the problem. This podcast is going to be very dependent on me seeing everything. Now <laughs> my life is just going to be completely revolved around animated fair, which it was like, basically I was like 50% animated fair, 50% live action. Um, 50% uh, Mad Men. Well, Mad Men was in, you know, in that. But Mad Men is gone. That. But it's now Now it's like instead of, instead of, you know. That's, that's good. I mean, I feel like honestly, and that's sort of, I guess, one of the mission statements is that people don't pay enough attention to animated shows yeah. and animated films and that they write it off as sort of fluff entertainment. And Well, I will certainly be paying attention to yeah. things to discuss them. Uh, and our next podcast will be on the last five episodes of steven universe you can look forward to that uh soon if it's not already up um check us out itunes twitter tumblr all those links are on our website at overlyanimated.com. um and i plan to just say the website instead of like going into all of them at the end i've been dylan heisen she's been melanie moore mel where can we find some of your stuff online oh okay so i um do some articles and i'll probably do a few more articles on things that uh we talked about here i have one for inside out if you'd like to go read it to kind of just see more in depth my thoughts on it um that would be at blackprint.com but that is spelled b-l-v-c-k-p-r-i-n-t.com uh head over to the scoop page on there and uh it should be on june 20th by melanie moyer and you will see that there there's a picture um spelled kind of weird but <laughs> cool and you're you're at mel moy on twitter yep i'm at mel moy on twitter i am uh the mel moy.tumblr.com because someone stole mel moy before I it was me to it. it was me it was it was honestly I, i'm not I think it was dylan <laughs> it, might, it might have been me um I, and I'm, I'm gonna have to pay him for it yeah i'm hoarding that that uh that url now i'm at dylan underscore ova that's the acronym for this podcast ova which is yes i did not get that the first time yeah sam you said that (laughs) sam um came up with that i was already just gonna call it oa as the acronym but this is a second a second pun in the title um dylan underscore ova and on tumblr i am uh dylan ova and that's where you can find my thoughts on things and thanks for listening guys i don't really know how we're going to be closing things out on this podcast uh we'll probably just end with a bye we're not gonna do (laughs) there's no more unison whatever's i'm retiring that that was from our old podcast uh but so yeah and i guess there's music playing right now but (laughs) i haven't put that in yet that'll that'll help that'll that'll come in at some point in the editing stage uh but yeah thanks thanks guys i hope you check out our next few podcasts um they're gonna be quite frequent multiple per week and hopefully you can find something that you watched uh for that we discussed uh see you guys bye i don't know what adios bye